Cause he gets up in the morning And he goes to work at nine And he comes back home at 5.30 Gets the same train every time Obviously governments at large who let the educational system be what it is, which is a job creator for the state, which mm -hmm. is, in my view, a criminal act. It's a crime against humanity. As you just said, we need to be teaching our children how to think clearly for themselves, mm -hmm. how to ponder issues from all sides, yes. and not be forced into boxes exactly. in their thinking, so that as they grow up, they can take this information that is all around them and organize it in ways which they can manage, mm -hmm. and then have a perspective which is global, which is larger. Oh, You're listening to The Sill Podcast, perspectives on art and technology with Peter Noche and Harry Posner. Episode 104, Digging Words. Conservatism, Trapped in Amber. He's a well-respected man about town, doing the best thing so Welcome to TSP 104. In this particular podcast, our department, Digging Words, and we've chosen a particular word, which is... Conservatism. Or conservative, either or way. conservative. Conservatism, conservative. And we're trapped in amber. Yeah, yeah. We're going to talk about how trapped we are with conservatism, whether we're really trapped, whether that's somewhat an illusion. But we should just talk about the derivation of the word. Mm -hmm. First of all, it's from the Latin or late Latin, conservativus, from conservat, which means conserved, and from the verb conservare, which means to conserve. So it's about aiming to preserve something mm -hmm. in its word derivation, which is not really different from how it's seen as a political movement or as a social phenomena. Mm -hmm. right? It's all about preserving tradition, the past, historically inherited ideas. Respecting institutions. Respecting institutions, not uh, changing too radically, too quickly, that sort of thing. Respecting uh, traditions like family, church, the state. Authority, for sure. Police, the army, that sort of thing. Structure. Structure. As opposed to what we might call more progressive viewpoints, liberal New Democratic, Democratic in the U.S., etc. So this idea of conservatism is not brand new, but it's not very old. Mm -hmm. I was surprised to discover... About 250 it, years? Yeah, I mean, just after the French Revolution. Mm -hmm. A parliamentarian, British parliamentarian, Edmund Burke, had a strong reaction to the French Revolution and the mm -hmm. violence that was inherent in it, that he kind of created this or brought forth this idea as a counter reaction mm -hmm. to the revolution. He didn't use the word conservative. That came a bit later through his French compatriots, Chateaubriand. Um, Is that the cheese? That's the, that's the wine, I think, isn't it? That's a wine, Chateaubriand. Yeah. Who knows? He might be related. Right. Uh, so... His idea of conservatism is really the modern idea. It's stretched through history the last few hundred years mm -hmm. to where it is now, and it hasn't really changed at all substantially since those times. What are we going to say about this idea of conservative? Is it valuable? 
Is it a deterrent to change? What's your take well, on conservatism? It's, it, it's certainly a go-to. It seems to be a go-to whenever things get rough. Yeah. What I mean by that is whenever a population perceives things as unstable, mm-hmm. we seem to grasp at conservative viewpoints. Right. And what conservatives back then, in the early days, felt, which also colors conservatism today, is that human beings were by nature rather feeble-minded. Their reason was not very good. Their reasoning faculties were not very good. Mm -hmm. And so to apply abstract ideas and sophisticated thinking to our values in our life was not to be recommended. Rather, we should just take our natural prejudices, our inclination to go back to the past and to do what we did before and to keep tradition going. That's what would be reliable and what would keep society more stable. Organized, less chaotic. Yeah. Hmm. Stability, organization. That was the premise. Sure. And, I mean, I would argue that that premise was inbuilt to human nature, survival, back to the beginnings of agriculture. Right. So from hunter-gatherers who are on the move. Constantly. Yeah, and it was this constant flow and dance and movement and changing relationships to the environment as it changed suddenly is uh, growing crops, staying in one place, Mm -hmm. having to be concerned with stability against the forces from outside, like climate change, like invasion from neighboring tribes. You now have to defend it as well. Right. So what does that call for? A standing army. Mm -hmm. So standing armies are really a product of a conservative worldview Mm -hmm. requiring stability and order. Control. And control. So, inbuilt to conservatism is a distrust of reason, mm-hmm. of abstract ideas as applied to society's needs, mm-hmm. etc. And despite all the negative associations, there are times, as just this one that you described with the advent of agricultural societies, where you almost require that in order to set that structure up. You require the... Conservative uh, approach yeah. to actually establish it. Sure. I think the problem sometimes occurs when you now feel that you have no other way mm-hmm. of moving forward. Right. Well, the choice has always been to take it slow, mm-hmm. to use the tried and true, and then inch your way forward safely. Like climbing a mountain very carefully, foothold to, to handhold making sure you're balanced, et cetera, and never in danger of falling or making a big mistake. Right. As opposed to somebody with great agility hiking up that hill at top speed. Throwing caution to the wind and yeah, leaping because, everywhere. Yeah, because of their urgency of change and the need to get to a new place. Mm-hmm. Conservatives have always looked upon that as being reckless, whether it's economically mm-hmm. based or societally based in terms of changes to society. Changes to laws. Yeah. We now have a society that moves at a much faster pace than we've been accustomed to for centuries. Well, and that's a danger to conservatism. The way certain world leaders talk about false news, they're Mm. referring directly to the technological efficiency of getting ideas out there Mm -hmm. that they don't like. Migration, 
which is a product of these changes that are occurring so quickly, the impoverishment of, or the awareness of impoverishment of third world countries and the political upheavals that are occurring that are accelerating. And for example, migration, they're attempting to stop it. Yeah, Uh, well, that's because these migrants, these immigrants, don't share the values, the traditional values necessarily, that the conservative majority do. That may be so, but these countries that are doing this also have to take some responsibility into why migration is being elevated to the level that it is. How do you mean, take responsibility? I don't think that migration is just something that happened completely on its own. It's also been, I believe, propagated by the conditions that exist around the world, which in part the developed countries have to take responsibility for. But is there an example you can give? Well, a company like Apple goes in to various countries and sells hundreds of millions of cell phones. Mm -hmm. They are products of the West that are infiltrating these third world countries. And suddenly even people that can barely afford to have a meal have these phones in their hands. Mm -hmm. And now they have internet access and they're viewing the world outside their world. And seeing all these things which were completely foreign to them at one point or or non-existent for that matter. Right, which is a danger to the conservative powers that be in their countries. Right, right? but there's a certain hypocrisy in the sense that you're trying to block out the very people that you kind of instigated or assisted in wanting to get out in the first place. Right, you've given them the wherewithal to understand the world better and to see that there's a better life for themselves, Mm -hmm. but then you stop them at the border. Mm-hmm. or take their children <laughs> and detain them. And to me, that's uh, in, in the long run, that's a losing battle. Yeah, You will never be able to patrol that 100% or block it 100%. Maybe. That's my opinion. Maybe, but that's only a practical problem. So if you can solve that practical problem, then what you're saying won't hold. They can certainly do that. They can build the wall. They have the wherewithal to build the wall so thoroughly mm-hmm. that they can keep people out. Mm, you'll keep them out for a certain length of time, but you're also inviting more problems. You're inviting more terrorism. You're inviting more aggressive acts in some ways. Yeah, but on the other hand, those aggressive acts then get a reaction again from the Mm -hmm. right, from Mm -hmm. the conservative right, to tighten even more security protocols, more money towards the army and police, right? All in response to, out of fear, fear fear-based. Right. Conservatism has been fear-based from the beginning, Mm -hmm. from the French Revolution. So the problem exacerbates itself. To me, though, ultimately what that will turn to in one form or another will be greater harm to human beings. Mm -hmm. Would you agree or disagree with that? Well, it almost doesn't matter what people do. There's going to be great harm to human beings. That's the sad fact. But harm to humans is the basis on which I look at things in terms of the whole conservative progressive perspective yeah that's the one thing that both conservatives and progressives or liberals can basically agree on both sides agree that the preservation of life yeah sure right so the the liberal and the conservative side if they can start there yeah it's not a matter of seeing their viewpoints it's not like the conservatives can't see what the liberals Uh, viewpoints are and vice versa is that they simply are in complete 
disagreement with them. So to find a middle ground, as I think you would like to see happen, mm -hmm. is virtually impossible when you have ideologies butting up against each other, yeah. not allowing for freedom of thought outside those ideological constraints. Yes, That's the problem we have, I think, is that we're surrounded by ideologies that we have to buy into. Right. So what I'm suggesting, though, is an issue-centric approach. Yes, and I've been pushing for that too. The difficulty is how do you define in a party system, do you create a new party that is issue-centric? And how do you define that party so people understand what they're about? Mm. If it's conservative on one issue, but it, this party is liberal on another issue, what do they actually stand for? We almost demand that the new party is concretized in a particular position about everything. Okay, so, so for me personally, in any kind of serious argument or debate situation where you can't seem to come to some form of agreement and you're just exacerbating or escalating yep. the friction, right? I always go to, okay, we can keep doing this until either one or both of us is destroyed mentally or physically, or we stop for a moment and let's say, what do we agree on? Is there one thing right, right. that we agree on? Right. Now we begin the conversation again. Hmm. Only we begin with what we agree on rather than dissing one another or continuing to pound on one another or ridiculing one another or making fun of. Well, that's a very enlightened way of, uh, <laughs> of communication in a world that is used to polarized communication. Right. It's very, very difficult for people to get out of that headspace they're in. Mm -hmm. I mean, you take a Trump supporter and you put him in front of a left-wing lib, right. liberal type, and where are they going to find the common ground? It's going to be very difficult. So Maybe even close to impossible, but... Yeah, I think it will be. But you can begin at least by, let's use you and I as an example. Let's make you conservative and me liberal for the sure. purpose of the discussion. Sure. So as a liberal... If I sit here and make fun of you or critique you to the point where you hear nothing I say other than the mm -hmm. criticism that I'm throwing yeah, at you, right. right? Even though I may feel that way, it doesn't serve any purpose for yeah. either of us by me condemning you. Yeah, right. And the same with you back. And I think in this sense, even though I'm more liberal in my thinking... I also have a lot of conservative views, too, built into that liberal thinking. Like what, for example? I do like a certain level of order. I do like institutions when institutions are serving the purpose that I believe is beneficial to society as a whole. We can argue about whether or not that's actually happening, but I do believe that that's possible. So the first thing I acknowledge by going there is acknowledging that there's a bit of both in me. And I think there's probably a bit of both in most people, yeah. if not all people, in varying degrees. Yeah. And I think that's the hardest thing to overcome. And I think that's where, i.e., for this discussion, we'll say the U.S. or Britain, which are the two more obvious examples. That's where they're stuck in. They're stuck in this inability to cross over. Mm -hmm. What's happening in Syria right now, for example, or the Middle East, okay. uh, in situations where even the knowledge that people now have that they didn't have where somebody in the middle of a desert with a smartphone is becoming aware of how people are living elsewhere. 
Yeah. And suddenly they're going, well, this is not the way a lot of people in the world live. There are better possibilities for me and my family and so on. And they're entrenched in their current societies that are running behind mm, mm, and now mm -hmm. seek a better life, just as you or I would have. Yeah, and even th those people, too, these migrants, I mean, they're not necessarily anti-conservative. That's right. It's just that they're fleeing the violence and the danger that their own particular country's history mm -hmm. has presented them as a life. Right. So in a way, they are running away from history and hoping to create a new life, obviously, in a freer country, a, a land which is not as tied to tradition, although that's a bit of a mistake because North America is seen as a freedom-loving continent, let's say, but right. it's deeply embedded in institutions that have come out of Christianity, it's out mm -hmm. of the church, mm -hmm. deeply embedded in governmental styles and deeply embedded in ideologies that are now concretized mm -hmm. in those parties that we know. Box, box. Now, a lot of immigrants are Indians and Pakistanis, for instance, and I like curry. <laughs> but now that we've got the recipe, <laughs> is there really any need for them to stay? Conservatives understand these problems, you see. Like we understand young criminals, another very emotive issue. This party feels that we've been just a little too soft on these bastards. <laughs> Mr. Whitelaw has spoken of the short, sharp shock treatment and his introduction of the 24,000-volt electric chair to two home office detention centers begins next week. On a purely experimental basis, of course. If it doesn't work, then of course we will be more than prepared to revert to the old liberal, wishy-washy, socialist, nigger-loving, red, left-wing, homosexual, commie ways of the recent past. <laughs> Box, box. There are independent politicians, for example. There are parties like the Green Party, whose focus is not ideological as much as it is sort of naturalistic and environmentally centered. Mm -hmm. So their concerns are not so much for the economic bottom line and jobs, 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 but all of it in relation to how is it going to affect the ecosystem that we rely on for our survival. So it's possible to create parties that have a very different angle on how to approach the issues of the day without them being polarized to left, right, center, what have you, right? So the Green Party could operate a very conservative agenda when it comes to the growth of certain sectors of the economy, whether it's the mm -hmm. oil sector, what have you, because of the danger to the environment, mm -hmm. but could move forward more quickly on certain sides of the national agenda, like green technologies, mm -hmm. and really move forward quickly on that. So they can go slow and fast and do both of those right. things. And so that's, that's an example where it's possible, right? When I was referring to issue-centric, you just described it. Mm-hmm. Right. But they can only do that because their overarching worldview is not narrow. Right. It's global. 
Exactly. So until uh, ideologies break out of their silos and think globally, none of that can really happen. Right. That's the key. Coming to an agreement on how to get there. Yeah. Do we encourage people or do we use a, a stick? <laughs> So you get fascism right. happen. If you get conservatism too far to the right, you get fascism. If you get liberalism too far to the left, you get fascism also, which people are surprised to hear. That's a very important point you just made. You're admitting that both sides are culpable. Yes, both sides have misused or misread. So the liberal side, which is more abstract and idealistic in a way mm -hmm. compared to the conservative side, well, you take Hitler, for example... How did he create his Germany? Well, he appealed to the abstract idea of a greater Germany. Make America great again. Right. right? I'm not saying Trump is Hitler, but I'm saying there's a yeah. distinct similarity there. And talking about how great the Aryan races and the Germanic Teutonic peoples are, and all of that played into his rise to power. Mm -hmm. In a sense, it's the extreme of liberalism, of abstract right. idealism. <laughs> so let's stop there for a second, because as you said, these were ideologies, comparable ideologies. But what is it that allows these ideologies to take hold? In my opinion, a great part of that is the masses' inability to think for themselves. Right. Mm -hmm. If you have a society made up largely of people who have lost their ability to think for themselves, it's very easy for these things to take hold. Yeah, but this is where technology has to be a little bit held culpable because regardless of the educational systems that are put in place, which are supposedly trying to do the best for their students and for mm -hmm. the children, we're nonetheless surrounded by Hollywood, by the right. media, by the internet and its glut of information, both false and real, mm -hmm. to the point where people's heads are spinning. They don't know how to think through all of this noise. Mm -hmm. So in some respects, you know, technology is culpable. Obviously, governments at large who let the educational system be what it is, which is a job creator for the state, which mm -hmm. is, in my view, a criminal act. It's a crime against humanity. As you just said, we need to be teaching our children how to think clearly for themselves, mm -hmm. how to ponder issues from all sides yes. and not be forced into boxes exactly. in their thinking so that as they grow up, they can take this information that is all around them and organize it in ways which they can manage mm -hmm. and then have a perspective which is global, which is larger, so they're not caught up in the polarities. And conservatism yep. is perceived as limiting that capability. Yes, I think so. And here we are with conservative movements around the world taking power, populist movements taking power, that claim that they're going to improve the educational system by going back to the three R's, reading, writing, arithmetic, the basics, and all this mumbo-jumbo, silly music stuff and art stuff is really not important, blah, blah, blah. But they're deeply mistaken. They're deeply mistaken. I agree, but Be if you examine the origins of the three R's, as you referred to them, they were based on productivity. Yeah. They were based on an economic base. You're kind of forming a numerically-based society. Yeah. Yeah. Units, productivity, mm -hmm. everything as you refer to as either 
ossification or what was the other word you used? Concretization. Concretization. Yeah. Where you're having everything monitored, controlled, and so on. Right? Yeah. Which deviates from perhaps what the significance or the importance of the three R's are. You've kind of bastardized them in a sense. Yeah, that's right. Because assume you strengthen all three. Mm-hmm. From a conservative point of view, that's not a good thing because you don't want a population that reads and is literate and writes because they can start to think for themselves and express themselves. So it's a funny kind of contradiction going on. Mm-hmm. This whole discussion, there are contradictions and it's not simple and straightforward. Mm-hmm. It, not at all. There are divisions within the conservative world, right? And you think of the Canadian situation where you had the Reform Party and you had the conservatives of 20 years ago at odds with each other, the reform being more right-wing, pushing for more right-wing agendas. Eventually, they merged. But all over the world, conservatism isn't just a unified field, right? There are sects within it. And there are degrees within it. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So we mustn't get too simplified in our thinking about these words and their ideas, conservatism being the one we're talking about today, Mm -hmm. because it can lead to just more polarized thinking. Mm-hmm. You had also mentioned the environmental issue, which is very prominent today, the okay. conservative liberal approach and its effect on the environment. Sure. What are your views on that? Well, again, it's a mixed bag because you have conservative governments in general giving more leeway to corporations who are polluting. Mm-hmm. And then you have liberal governments who talk a good story and then come into power and realize that there are certain restraints on what they can do and they dial back and you have Justin Trudeau, for example, and the transnational pipeline issue, which is a major environmental concern for people who know the environment and the issues involved. There's a liberal party going ahead with something you'd expect the conservatives to be doing in a big way. Mm -hmm. So again, it's a mixed bag in terms of the environment, which is why the Green Party sprung up because it didn't see any of the established parties really... Addressing it. Yeah, going where their mouth is, you know. The, mm-hmm. you know They all talked a good thing. Oh, yes, the environment's important, but they didn't really want to do anything about it because of economics of yeah. it or the perceived economics of it and right. job losses, blah, blah, blah. But the Green Party, which is very strong in Germany, of all places. Isn't that funny where the, the Green mm-hmm. Party is is strongest, strongest in the world, yeah. right? In a country that uh, saw deep fascism and world war. Here they are, an enlightened kind of faction, a political faction, pushing hard for environmental issues. And we're beginning to grow that party here in Canada as well. Perhaps. Right. Here's a country that was considered the fascist in italics uh, regime of the 20th century. Right. Showing the most promise in terms of reflecting the other side. Yeah. I think that that will happen. It may take generations to die off before that enlightened attitude happens. We traditionally think of the arts as a liberal thing, as progressive aspect of society. Artists are there to create, to discover new ways of communicating beauty and and life and Mm -hmm. thought in the world, etc. But in that world too, there are deeply conservative traditions, you know, the ballet and the forms of the ballet, certain aspects of landscape painting, the way galleries... The art gallery that uh, holds the paintings. Yeah, Yeah. the galleries that are traditional galleries Mm -hmm. where the paintings are, well, they have to be on the wall. There's certain precepts there 
very traditional, very old school that a lot of artists don't like. Right, but that's what I was referring to about that crossover. Almost anything you pick, yeah. you will find a spot where there's a crossover. So if we begin every discussion or every idea with yeah. the acknowledgement of a crossover, you have a very different stance sure. on things. Well, it's your, uh, let's say, benevolence that's inherent with someone who has a supposedly opposite worldview to bring a benevolence to the discussion, yes. a recognition that here's a human being, not right. just a political entity or a political opposite that allows you to see where they're coming from. Because the first step in good communication is to listen and understand. And that doesn't happen a lot mm -hmm. with these opposing factions. Yes. So you're talking about these two combative forces, right? I think one of the problems with the Western viewpoint is that we see these things as opposing forces rather than these two forces existing within the same entity. So, for example, Eastern cultures, a lot of their religious viewpoints have good and bad. Yin and yang is a perfect example of that. Right. So, they don't look at them as opposing forces. As either one or the other. Right. It They're is like, one thing. They coexist. Yeah. If you take that approach to politics, economics, one doesn't have to be bad. They can coexist. Yeah. Okay, I get that. Now, here's the thing. What we've seen over the last few hundred years in the political arena is you have this pendulum that swings from conservatism to liberalism, back to conservatism, and back and forth, right? You get right. this sort of thing happening. But with the advent of populism as a political methodology, that has changed the game, I would argue. Okay. That it's no longer a pendulum anymore. Something has happened there where there's going to be, whatever change happens, whatever response happens, it won't be in the same mode or modus operandi as has been traditional with these natural pendulum swings. As people become disgruntled with one, they go to the other. Populism is a totally different game. It's saying we're completely other, we're outside politics. So you're talking about cycle interference here. Talk about what? Cycle interference. In a way, yeah. That has been the tradition, this pendulum swing. And that actually is being broken, which is why people I think are very concerned mm -hmm. because there's no way to predict where the pendulum is going to go, because that's been broken. Like you're eliminating natural correction. Yes, yes, okay. absolutely. Yeah. So that's a question. I mean, to me, that's a major concern, because you could go in any direction from fascism to an enlightened approach to human issues, etc. You also said something that was very important to me. You used the word fear. I think this has become a major issue in our lives. Yeah. There's a real focus on that, and a lot of decisions are being made, in my opinion, more on a fear-based mm -hmm. mm -hmm. platform rather than the opposite. I'm not suggesting that one shouldn't be aware, shouldn't be vigilant about possible problems and so on. Yes. You should be, but there's quite a difference when you elevate that to complete fear. Yeah. Mm -hmm. right? You don't make the same kinds of decisions. So are you saying people shouldn't have fear? I because, would, I mean, the people are very afraid of what Trump might bring to the world, for example. Not just Trump, but others like him around the world. Yeah, but I think fear, real fear, immobilizes you. Being vigilant and being cautious does not. So it, There's I, a difference between awareness yeah. 
and right. fear. Right. So in some ways, fear is the operating principle these days because people do seem a bit paralyzed, a bit stunned still. From the moment the populist leader was elected in the United States, mm -hmm. there's been this stunned, disbelieving, yet there it is for the last three years. And no concerted response to the actual actions of the leader. Mm -hmm. It's all been, how is this possible? This is ridiculous. This is a buffoon. This is this. But that's just, that's a sign of paralysis. Right. What do we do about well, it? Because you've also, in my opinion, fueled the fear. Rational thinking ceases when you are completely gripped by fear. Right, right. And even Trump and all his so-called insanity or commentaries or whatever else, tweets and so on, they're only as effective as your response to that particular stimulus. So the question is, what is it going to take to create a Hong Kong, for example, in the streets of uh, New York City? Hundreds of thousands of people in the streets where there's no way the government can control that kind of swell of humanity. This is the kind of response that may be required in the Maybe. face of these Maybe. Uh, changes. But the swell can take different forms. No. There's the obvious violent yeah. method, Yeah. but there's also the non-cooperative method, Yeah. Right. which is what I'm kind of purporting. Non-violent. Uh, Non-violence non in the sense of you begin to think your way through these things. You can resist without striking yeah and maybe that's not sufficient well, I, I don't know for a lot of people it is not sufficient because right. the system itself won't allow you to strike back within the parameters of what we've known our traditions the traditions are not there to allow for radical change and response to something like that but largely because you're afraid of the consequences if you do right the well, governments are afraid not the people themselves are not that afraid at a certain point, the people go, screw with tradition. This is not tenable. We have to act. And so you have a French Revolution. You right. Know, you have a communist revolution. You have people in the streets of Hong Kong. All these people coming out and saying, this is wrong. All of this is wrong. We have to change something. Yes. It is possible when people as a group take large action to make that happen. In any case, we're talking conservatism here. And in the face of it, what do we do? How do we understand it more deeply? And that's the point of this little conversation we've had in this podcast. And so we're inviting people to think more deeply about it, go into it, to not be simplistic in our thinking about it. Understand to value all sides. Right. Yeah. And I want you to take a look at our website and notice that we have a comments section. Yes, we do. We have an audio comment section as one well. One button. A one button does it all. And uh, give us your best conservative diatribe mm -hmm. and we'll play it on air for you. Especially those people in uh, Beauharnois. Beauharnois, Quebec. Yes. We want you to talk to us, especially you guys. We're interested in you I know, guys. I know you're pressing our uh, buttons on our site, but we, <laughs> we'd really like to know who you are. We want you to press our, our other buttons yeah. uh, by your responses. Conservatism, there you have it. Technology, conservatism, life in a nutshell. And until next time, ciao, Peter. Ciao, Harry, conservatore. Si, si, si. The Sill Podcast, Perspectives on Art and Technology, is a Connecting Dots Media production. Available at thesillpodcast.com. In a well-respected man about town, doing the best thing so 